You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great, thank you. Um, Well, I was really honoured when Pete asked me to preach this morning, and I said yes before he told me what the topic was on. Uh, Who better to talk about failure than Anna Mayton? Is that what we were thinking, Pete? Uh, Thanks. Well, uh, I I do have a wealth of experience to draw upon, and um, not only in my work life. So my prayer is that this morning doesn't get added to my catalogue of failure or your list of disappointments. Uh, Let's pray. (laughs) Dear Lord... We have all experienced failure and disappointment. As we reflect on that this morning, would we be those who have our eyes, our ears, and our hearts open to your Holy Spirit and the truth in the amazing hope that can be found in your Son, Jesus? Oh, Heavenly Father, please speak through the words I've prepared this morning so that everyone here is changed through the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I have been quite challenged in preparing for this morning, and I'm hoping that you will feel challenged this morning as well. But it's really all about hope. And yes, we're going to speak about failure and disappointment, but if there's one thing that you take away from this morning, it is hope. Um, In our work lives, it is not unusual to experience failure and disappointment. We might be overlooked for a promotion. We might not get the job that we really wanted. We might be made redundant. We might fail to secure that deal or that client. We might be betrayed by a team member or simply make a mistake that fills us with shame. And this isn't confined to the corporate world of work. This applies to whatever you spend your time doing, whether you're a student studying to pass exams or a stay-at-home mum desperately trying to potty train. And it's true in areas of life outside of work too, in relationships, in our finances, in decisions that we make, in our marriages and in our parenting. The failures and disappointments that we face can tend to stick with us and can sometimes shape decisions that we make years, even decades later. They can shape how we feel about ourselves and others, and they can uh, even shape how we feel about God. So while preparing for this morning, I obviously reflected on my own personal failures over the years. And to make you all feel a bit more comfortable, I will share some of those with you. Um, I am a primary school teacher by trade. I'm assistant head of a primary school up the road. And I really enjoy my work most days. Um, I, I have to say that because a colleague is here this morning. So, um, And it really is, though, honestly, a real privilege to be part of so many people's lives, young people's lives. And I love being a part of the learning process for others. Learning is all about making mistakes, messing up, and then learning from it and moving on. So I started my career in quite a tough inner-city primary school, straight after I'd finished university. And I remember the first day uh, of that job, um, some children I'd been teaching started a fight in the playground after school. And that experience alone made me feel like, I can't do this. This is, this is too much for me. Um, children are very good 
also at spotting mistakes, and especially those made by their teacher. So you would know if you'd failed at something because they'll smugly be pointing it out to you. So as a teacher, you get used to covering up those errors. You say things like, I'm just checking you're paying attention. Or uh, I'm so glad someone picked up that mistake. So any, any errors on this or through what I say, it's all deliberate <laughs> this morning. Um, now, it was a tough school to work in, uh, but I worked hard and I did well. I even became an advanced skills teacher, an AST. Um, after five years there, I left and I went to work in Southeast Asia for a while. And that is another whole list of uh, failure and disappointment stories. But this school gave me a great send-off. There was an assembly to say goodbye. There were cards and presents from parents. Uh, there were tears from the head teacher. So when I got back to the UK a couple of years later, um, the head teacher was more than happy to take me back for a six-week uh, block of supply work. I was in year four on a Monday, nursery on a Tuesday, somewhere else on a Wednesday, and so on. Miss Mayton, AST, had become a supply teacher. <laughs> now, I'm sure, whichever, however you may have experienced this, that you know that children treat a supply teacher quite differently to their class teacher. Oh, our teacher normally lets us do that. Our teacher normally lets us go out to play early. Our teacher normally lets us smoke in the book corner. What? I'm exaggerating. Uh, but a lot had happened in those two years that I'd been away. Lots of parents and children had changed and didn't remember me. My, my reputation, if you like, was very weak. Um, and those children absolutely ran rings around me. It was the worst six weeks of my whole teaching career. I won't go into detail. In fact, I think I've blocked some of the, what happened from living memory. Um, I couldn't wait to get out, though. And on that last Friday, I remember leaving as quickly as I could. I didn't say goodbye to anyone. I just snuck out and left. I was so embarrassed and I was so ashamed of myself. Um, something that I'd been really good at, uh, something somewhere that I felt loved and really respected, just felt all gone. And it made me question everything. Wow, Miss Mayton exposed. Um, and I learned a lot through that failure. And you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, okay, pride hurt a bit you know, get over it. Um, you don't know the half of it. And maybe, maybe you've got a deeper failure that you're thinking about right now. One of the best failures that I've heard recently um, was from Farai. Thank you, Farai, for letting me share this this morning. Farai was sharing about losing some money on a business venture. Um, now, this was on the Redeemer Money Day and he sure knows how to empty a room. Um, he was talking to us about how he was trading currencies, and to start with, did really well. He doubled his investment, made tons of money. But everything went wrong, and he lost a lot. He lost 60,000 pounds. 60,000 pounds! That's such a Massive failure, isn't it? 
I mean, I get a bit upset if I lose a few quid on my Oyster card, but (laughs) £60,000, wow. But it's a classic demonstration of um, strength being found through weakness, isn't it, for I? And what an amazing blessing his failure has become to him and to others. And what struck me when thinking about failure, particularly failure at work, is that that deepest sense of shame and disappointment, the strongest sense of failure, comes when you fail at something you passionately believe in, that you think you're really good at, something you believe about yourself. I mean, if I got up here and tried to you know, lead worship on the keyboard or, or Rich's guitar, I would fail. It wouldn't be very good. But I'd expect to because I don't know how to do that. But something that I think I'm good at, something that I'm supposed to do well, in fact, something I'm paid to do well, that's when the failure can really sting. And sometimes that sting doesn't always go away. We all fail don't we? Don't we? Yes. Yes. Okay. So how is it possible to deal with failure and disappointment and find hope? Now, the dictionary defines hope as a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen. Christian hope, and that's the type of hope we're talking about this morning, it's not mere optimism or a projection of our desires. It's not the same as saying, oh, I hope it doesn't rain, or I hope I get that promotion, or I hope I don't have to work with him. Christian hope arises from the knowledge that we were made by a God who loves each one of us. We have renewed a relationship with him through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We look forward to his return. In the Bible, Paul writes, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So in light of this, it is essential that we fix our minds and our hearts on the hope that Christ has given us, not on our next career move, but on that hope. So failure should be an opportunity to grow. And if anyone in the Bible reassures me that failure is okay, it's the disciples. And I was reminded of this when I went to Trafalgar Square on Good Friday to watch the Passion Play being performed there. And they really acted it well, really brought the gospel to life in, in the middle of London. But what a bunch of failures they were. Ken Costa, who's the author of the book that we've taken this series, God at Work, from, he writes that Jesus longed for the trust of those around him. He took the risk of trusting his disciples. Now, all trust involves risk, and Jesus was badly let down and betrayed by his disciples, those closest to him. I mean, they fell asleep instead of keeping watch. Peter denied all knowledge of him, and ultimately, Judas betrayed him into the hands of those who would later kill him. Well, I already feel a bit better. Um, Now, Peter is one of my favorite biblical characters. He's the one disciple that Jesus gets out of the boat, only later to deny any connection with him. He's a bit like an employee who promises much but fails to deliver. 
But he demonstrates that despite putting your foot in it, despite messing up, God will use you anyway. And in the life of Peter, there is a clear demonstration of failure, disappointment, and hope. He denies Christ in Mark 14. He's restored and processes the failure in John 21. And then ultimately, Acts 2, he stands up and preaches the gospel. And we're going to look at those bits of his story. So let's first read Peter's big failure. This is Mark 14, 66 to 72. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. He broke down and wept. So Peter follows Christ to start with. He assures Jesus earlier in the chapter that he won't let him down, that he won't ever disown him. And then he fails him three times. He fails through fear to stand by his word, to stand by his Lord and friend. And he wept. In that moment when he realized he had failed, he wept. How do you deal with your mistakes? Some people never make mistakes. Have you ever met people that don't make mistakes? I'll tell you why they don't make mistakes. They never get out of the boat. They've never risked anything. I've recently encouraged a friend of mine to go for a job application that she wasn't sure whether she was qualified for. She wasn't sure if she'd stand a chance to get it. And to be honest, I don't know if she will be shortlisted. I don't know if she'll get an interview, how well she'll do, or even if she'll get the job. But the point is, she's stepped out of the boat. She's risked that failure, that potential failure. She's taken the risk, put herself out there. And whatever the outcome, God will use it. Uh, Michael Jordan, a famous basketball player from the US, he said this, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I have failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. And Winston Churchill said, and I particularly like this one. Success is going from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. So how do you deal with your mistakes? However big or small, do you cover them up? Do you make excuses for them? Do you blame other people? Do you point out someone else's mistakes in order to mask your own? Do you hit the self-destruct button? Do you try and take control of the situation by choosing to fail 
rather than risk failure? Do you never get out of the boat? I think I've done them all. Disappointment, an opportunity to go. Peter wept. How do you process the emotions associated with failure? And how do you keep perspective on feelings of disappointment? If we're not careful, we can find ourselves dealing with a whole chain of negative emotions set off by that failure or by a perceived failure. Ken Costa, again, describes failure like a train. Um, It's pulling a coach of self-pity. Behind that coach of self-pity, there's a coach of rejection. And behind that, there's a coach of I've had enough. And behind that, a coach of pessimism bringing up the rear. What Peter does, in John's Gospel, chapter 21, it says, I'm going out to fish. He goes fishing. He does what he knows best. I've never quite understood fishing. Does anyone fish here? Anyone want to... Oh, for I. Oh, dear. We'll pray. We'll pray afterwards. Um, I mean, why you would go out on water or near water and spend hours, and if you do catch something, it's a fish. I, I don't, it blows, I don't really understand. But Peter goes fishing. Essentially, he withdraws. Sometimes when you fail, you withdraw. You think, ouch, that hurt. I don't want to experience that again. Um, I don't want to face that. I'm off. I'm not going to risk it. And sometimes it is important to catch your breath, to reflect, to process the pain. But don't get caught there. Some people live in denial as if the failure never happened. Um, Some people get into a blame culture. Oh, man, you should have seen the competition. Or, you know, if only the wind was blowing a little more southwesterly, it would have been a different story. Some people even make their failure into and their disappointment into pets that kind of follow them around all the time. You know, hi, I'm I'm Anna. This is my pet, Perfectionism. Uh, This is my other pet, Reggie. Rejection. Yeah, you get that? Uh, You know, yes, Reggie does look quite cute, but don't get too close. She'll have your hand off if you get too close. Um, We can let our failures define us. And I want to ask you this morning, is there a failure or a disappointment that you are holding on to, that you've made your pet? Today needs the day, needs to be the day that you let it go. Another great quote I particularly liked in Ken Costa's book, Some name it disappointment and become poorer. Others name it experience and become richer. We are all going to fail at things. But if you fail and don't learn from it, then you really have missed something. Now, I'm not wanting to fail and I'm not wanting anyone here to fail, but I've definitely learned more about God and myself through failure, through disappointment than in moments of success. Own the failure. Times of crisis bring us closer to God. We all fail, but not to integrate that into your life experience and learn from it. Well, that is failure. And I think the most successful people are those who have learned from the experience of failure and haven't been 
wrapped in it. Um, a group of my friends uh, and I all realized probably about a year ago that we were all in slightly disappointing uh, places in our work lives. So we got together and we prayed. We did something. Yeah, we, we took action and we prayed with each other. And it was an amazing time together. We prophesied over each other. We had pictures and words for each other. It was really encouraging. We all heard from God that day. It was great. And in that following six months, everyone who'd been there praying all experienced breakthrough in their, um, in their work lives. There was promotion, there was um, new jobs, new um, doors opening, new opportunities. Everyone except for me. Um, disappointment, yeah. Um, so I, I did find a position that I was interested in. It was just a three-week job uh, over the summer holidays. It was pretty well paid, but it felt so perfect for me. It felt like God himself had written that job spec for me, just for me. It, it, surely it was mine. I got an interview, obviously. I... Um, Went up to Cambridge for this interview. I bought a new interview outfit. I had my hair done. The sun was shining. The birds were singing. My taxi driver was wonderful. It was all going well. Everything that could go right went right. The interview went very well. God was clearly smiling down on me that day. And I didn't get the job. I got a polite letter about how strong my application had been and how well the interview had gone. And I got all those promises about, well, keep your details on file, whatever that means. I was so sad and I was so disappointed. And disappointment does a lot to help kill our pride and develop humility. And sometimes, instead of giving us the call of our heart, what we think is best for us, God gives us more of himself. And now, of course, deep personal failure needs restoration. And if you are going through a difficult time, um, have faith that you will get through it. Keep disappointment in its proper place and be confident that he who started a good work in us will carry it through to completion. He has a plan for us all. Peter, uh, sorry, Jesus restored Peter. He in, unraveled his failure. I'm going to read John 21, 15 to 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. 
I love that we are told that Peter was hurt because he was asked three times. You know, this is the man who denied Jesus three times. But he is obedient and follows him. So Jesus takes him through a time of restoration and healing and in the end, fulfillment. He alludes to the very thing Peter feared. He was scared of being arrested and killed himself. So for us, when we go through times of failure and disappointment, we need to find healing. We need to find closure. We need to learn from it and move on to fulfill the good and perfect plans God has in store for us. And we need to know that God is so incredibly bigger than any adverse decision, than any failed job interview, any mistake. And he will use every situation for good. So finally, some hope. Like I said previously, most people understand hope as meaning wishful thinking. But this is not what the Bible means by hope. The biblical definition of hope is confident expectation. Do you have confident expectation? Hope is a firm assurance regarding things that are unclear and unknown. Do you have that? I like to think of this hope as the treasure that Paul writes about in his letter to the Corinthians. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, the treasure is the glory of God that Christians carry inside them. That jar of clay is the simple, humble vessel that we are all carrying it in. That's our our lives, our work, our relationships, everything about us. So my question to you is, what does your jar of clay look like this morning? I think mine is definitely a bit chipped around the edges. And there's a few, maybe one or two cracks down the side of my jar. Now, I was thinking about my failures and what to share with you this morning. And I was prompted to share a spiritual failure with you as well. Um, I believe that there might be people here who think they have messed up or failed spiritually in some way. Now, I became a Christian at quite a young age and invited Jesus into my life, into my jar of clay, if you like. Um, So I was carrying that treasure, that hope around. But in my teenage years and beyond, I stepped away from God. I failed big time. And I failed again. And I felt not good enough to carry that treasure. I felt so far from spiritual perfection that I chose to fail. I chose failure and I left the church. I took my shame and I turned my back on God. I didn't just not get out of the boat. I started paddling the boat in the opposite direction. And even when I did step back into church, I tried my best to cover up the chips and the hairline fractures in my jar of clay. And what I learnt 
In fact, I, I think I was trying to make my jar of clay look a bit more like, you know, a fine porcelain china vase, which was never going to happen. And what I learnt and have been reminded of recently is that the hope I have in God shines all the more brightly through my failures and disappointments. Like Peter, God wants to use me. Now, interestingly, when, when the women found uh, the empty tomb, they were told to go tell the disciples and Peter. That's in Mark 16. What an amazing reassurance that there is no doubt that despite Peter's mistakes and failures, he is important. He has not been rejected. And that's really important for us to grasp this morning. It doesn't matter what your failures are. It doesn't matter how big you think they are. You are accepted by your heavenly Father despite them. It's okay to mess up. Sure, at work, there might be consequences to deal with. But with God, that treasure is freely given to all who ask for it. Failure processed well leads to success. And Peter's story finishes with fulfillment in Acts 2, uh, 14. It records, then Peter stood up. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Then Peter stood up. Jesus has died, been crucified, been resurrected, ascended into heaven. The prophecies have all been fulfilled. The Holy Spirit has come down from heaven and filled the apostles. Then Peter stood up and he gave an account of the gospel. He evangelized. He told others about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He told others that if they give themselves to Jesus invite him into their lives, repent of their sins, and ask for forgiveness that they can receive this eternal hope now and forever. Peter stood up. What a moment in salvation history. Peter stood up and presented the gospel. And I think that what we all need to do today is stand up like Peter. And I'm going to give you the opportunity a little later to respond to what God has been saying to you this morning. Before I do that, here's three steps that can help you renew hope at work or at home or parenting your children or dealing with a relationship. Let's have a look. Number one, face the facts. Admit and own your failure. Take advice about it. Learn from it and move on. Whether it's losing 60k in the corporate world or losing another night's sleep training your child to sleep in their own bed. Learn, grow, and move on. Number two, make a plan. Take some action. Go. Don't dwell in the failure. Don't get stuck there. Stand up and go. Keep getting out of the boat. And number three, turn to God. 
move from asking, why, God? Why didn't I get that job? Why am I still here? To asking, what now, God? We are not always going to understand why we face failure and disappointment, why something hasn't worked out for us or the way we want it to work out. So ask God, what now? And see where he leads. So now's your opportunity to make an active response to whatever God might have been saying to you personally today. I'm going to ask the band to come up and start playing for us. We're going to be singing a song in a few moments' time. And in the meantime, I'd like to ask everyone else here to close their eyes. Just close your eyes and let's listen to what the Holy Spirit would say to us. If you are a Christian here today, I'm speaking to you first. You might feel the need to stand up like Peter, to stop trying to cover your faults and your failures, to stop trying to hide the cracks in your jar of clay. You know what? God wants to use them. He wants to shine through them. They could become your greatest strength. If that's you, just put your hand up as a first response. Do you feel a bit trapped in the boat? Or are you even paddling in the wrong direction? Have you let the treasure you are carrying become a bit dull because of the failure that you're holding on to? Just put your hand up. It's great. There's hands going up. That's really fantastic. Thank you, God. Right. You can put your hands down and let's keep our eyes closed. If you are not a Christian here this morning, I'm talking to you now. I believe you are here this morning for a reason. And I would encourage you, I would urge you to make a stand today. Make today the day that you say yes to Jesus. Put your hand up as your first response if that is you. Everyone is going to keep their eyes closed. You might be thinking, yeah, I am a failure. I am, I'm hopeless. Yes, I want forgiveness. Yes, I want the hope that I've heard about today. Just put your hand up if that is you. That's great. Well done. Okay. We can put our hands down and let's open our eyes. Now, several people put their hands up uh, in response this morning, which is great. Um, I'm going to give you a next step because I'm a teacher and that's what I do. So if you put your hands up, um, your next step is a more active response. As we sing the song in a moment that the band are going to lead us, I'm going to go and stand over there in that space. And if you were in the second group of people, so you're not a Christian, or maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian, and you want to make that 
really definite today. I want you to come over to that space where I'd love to pray with you. Um, there might be some other guys who come and join me to pray as well. If you were the first in the first group putting their hands up, I'm going to ask you to boldly ask somebody near you to pray with you. Now, nobody here has to confess any failures to anyone else here. That's between you and God. And I'd, I'd encourage you to do that in your heart. But um, I'd like you to ask someone near you to pray with you. And if you're that person that gets asked to pray, you can't fail at pray, praying. So say yes uh, with a smile and, and go for it. And, and if that means everyone here is praying, then the band will happily sing over us as we do that. That's absolutely fine. We've got time. There isn't any rush. And if you didn't put your hand up, but you still want to ask someone to pray, or you still want to come over here and, and receive prayer, then do it, okay?